So let me invite you to take your Bibles, the word of our King, and open them to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 10 to 20 today. So if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a blue one in front of you that you're welcome to use and keep. And you can find our passage on page 10 this morning. So Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he, do- he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, She is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we had a a brief interruption. We kicked off this series of walking by faith, right? And then I I had a little detour, realizing sometimes trusting the Lord means you don't get to preach when you thought you were going to preach. So this was supposed to be last week's message, but we had Eric Swanson filling in for me because I was out sick. But as we started a couple weeks ago... We started our series by meeting Abram, the man of faith. And in the first part of chapter 12, we saw that God called this man, Abram, to do something radical. He called him to walk by faith in God alone. And we learned three things about this call to walk by faith. First, we saw that it comes to unlikely people. Remember, this Abram was nobody special. He wasn't a celebrity, he wasn't well-known, he wasn't particularly devout. In fact, he was living a life of sin, worshiping false gods. Not the guy you'd expect for God to call to walk by faith. The second thing we saw was that the call to walk by faith contains unblushing promises. When God called Abram to trust him, he promised him incredible blessing. Of these blessings, three things in particular stood out. God promised Abram offspring. So many, in fact, that he said he would become a great nation. He promised him land, and he promised him that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Then the third thing we saw is we saw what happens when this call to walk by faith comes to unlikely people with all its unblushing promises. The result is it creates obedient pilgrims. So by faith, Abram left his home left his family, and left his people to follow where God would lead him. 
So far, what we saw last week, Abram seems like the man, right? I mean, this guy, we just look at, we say, what faith? He left everything to trust God with his life. Abram sets the bar high when it comes to a life of deep faith in God's sovereign goodness. So now, this week, as the story continues, we're left wondering, oh man, what will this hero of faith do next? What great exploit of faith and what confidence in God will we see now? And yet what happens in our passage? Abram fails and so does his faith. This man who was walking by faith now stumbles in unbelief. Now at first glance, this would seem like a surprising story to actually include in the Bible. Think about it. If this was just a product of people and they have this hero, Abram, why would you put this in there? If he's one of the heroes, why would you want to have a story where the hero blows it? Shouldn't you just include all the stories that show his shining accomplishments of faith? But what I love about the Bible is that it goes out of its way to make sure we know that Abram isn't the hero. God is. And over and over, Scripture makes sure we know that our heroes aren't always that heroic. Because they're all sinners just like us. They stumble and they fail. But even when they fail, God's promises don't. And we're going to see that this is really good news for us. Because it shows us that our hope is not that we can be like them. This message is not be like Abram. The message is his God is your God. The God whose promises don't fail even when his people do. And it's that same God whose promises we rely on today. And stories like this where even Abram, the great man of faith, fails are in our Bibles to encourage us in our own walk of faith. As Paul says in Romans 15, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So, what hope does this passage of scripture give us? That our God always keeps his promises, even when it seems like we screwed everything up. And friends, the gospel is not a message for towering titans of faith. It's a promise of hope for stumbling saints who often fail in our walk of faith. So the hope we see here is, as I titled it, even when we fail, God's promises don't. So we're going to walk through the story together to see that. And as we work our way through, we're going to see three stages of the story. So if you have the outline, go ahead and throw that up. In verses 10 to 13, we're going to see Abram's failure. Then in the next Three verses, we're going to see sin's fallout. And finally at the end, in verses 17 to 20, we're going to see God's faithfulness. So let's look first at Abram's failure. As I mentioned, the last time we saw Abram, kind of if you think of these as episodes of a show, the last episode, he was this great man of faith who received and believed God's promises of a homeland and offspring. In fact, when he was in Canaan, God even told him up in verse 7, to your offspring, I will give this land. So, so far, remember, things are going awesome for Abram. 
But then as Abram's cruising along in his walk of faith, suddenly there's a bump in the road. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Isn't this the way the life of faith goes? Things are going well. I mean, you're doing well. You're seeing God's goodness in your life. You feel like, man, I am really trusting the Lord. In fact, you might even be so bold to say, God, I even pray, help me trust you even more. And when we say that, what we often mean is, God, give me more of this good feeling. But what we forget is that stronger faith is not grown in the cozy confines of comfort, but instead it is forged in the fires of affliction. And so it is here. Right out of the gate, after he's gotten all these promises, he's seen God do all this, Abram is confronted by a trial that will test his faith. Now, we just skim over and read the words, yeah, there's a famine, da-da-da. Think about what he's facing. There's not enough food for him and his family. It's not just like, oh, we're out of groceries. We, know we forgot to go pick something up. It's there's nothing in the stores. So much so that think how bad it would have to be to get you to move and uproot your family to move to a different place because there's no food. That's what Abram's facing here, this trial. And so he decides to pack up the family and leave the promised land to head to Egypt where there is food to be found. Now this raises a question. Was this leaving Canaan to head to Egypt a lack of faith on Abram's part? We don't know for sure. We don't know exactly how he processed it. But I don't think so. And here's why. Because we see throughout scripture, God repeatedly uses Egypt as a temporary refuge for his people. Whether it's Jacob moving the people there during a different famine, or Joseph and Mary fleeing to Egypt to escape Herod. On top of that, the verse here that we're looking at says, Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. Now that word usually in the Bible implies a short-term stay rather than a permanent move. So in all likelihood, Abram here leaves the promised land, not to abandon the promises, saying like, okay, I guess God was wrong about that. Instead, he leaves trusting that God would bring him back. So far, I think he's still doing okay. But as they make their way to Egypt, Abram battles with that great enemy of faith. The what-ifs. He starts running through the scenarios in his mind of what might await them in Egypt. Oh, what if, what if this happens? Okay, okay, maybe I can do that. But what if that happens? Don't you do that? Isn't that one of our enemies of faith, the what ifs? And as Abram's running through the what ifs, one of these what ifs really frightens him. In fact, he shares his fears about it with Sarai in verse 11. It says, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, Look, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Okay, now first of all, what a great way to compliment your wife. <laughs> Honey, listen, you are so beautiful, I fear for my life. Right? Husbands, you can try this out at home. But 
Lest you think that Abram here is just being a paranoid husband who has some unrealistic perception of how attractive his wife is, don't forget that down in verse 14, the Egyptians agree with Abram about Sarai's beauty. Okay, so he's not just this husband who's rose-colored glasses saying, oh, to me, you're the beautiful. She's that beautiful. Okay, so Abram's fears aren't unfounded, but the problem is what he does with those fears. Instead of praying, he starts planning. Instead of trusting his God, he takes matters into his own hands and comes up with his own scheme. Look at verse 13. He said to his wife, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So here's Abram, the great man of faith. But instead of trusting in his God, he trusts in deception. He wants Sarai to say she's his sister. Now, if you know your Bibles, you know we'll find out later that this is technically partially true. She's his half-sister. But we don't know that yet in this story. If we're just reading the Bible for the first time, that information has not been given to us. What we do know here is that Abram is intentionally only giving part of the truth in order to deceive someone else. And he does it to look out for his own interests. Now, I'm sure Abram rationalized it to himself, saying, you know, I'm not technically lying. I mean, she is my sister, kind of. So it's not completely lying. And besides, what choice do I have? I have to. I mean, if I tell the truth, think what will happen to me. Or maybe he went even further, thinking that he needed to take matters into his own hands if God's promise of offspring was actually going to happen. I mean, there's going to be no offspring if he dies, right? And that's what God said he wants. So this sin of deception, I think, made sense to Abram. Isn't it so easy to get there? When you talk yourself into believing that this sin actually makes sense. That because of the situation you're facing, you need to do this. It's what makes it, it's the right thing in this context. Ever tell yourself that if you don't do this, you just can't see how all God's promises of good to you could possibly work out. I know he said he's going to do this, but right now, if I don't do this, that won't happen. That's where Abram finds himself. And it's here his lack of faith is exposed. Now, to be clear, it's not that he completely gave up his faith in God. I'm not saying that. But in this moment, he stopped trusting that God was able and would actually keep all of his promises. He had trusted that God could make him a great nation, right? He trusted that God could give him a promised land. But he wasn't sure God could handle this situation. Can't we do that? God, I trust you for eternal life. I trust that you will raise me from the dead. I trust you will forgive my But what I'm facing today, ugh, I don't know. Abram's failure was a failure to trust God's promises. So Abram does what we all do when we don't trust God. He took things into his own hand. He figured if these things God promised were going to happen, it was up to him. And he started to trust his plan instead of God's. He feared man more than he feared God. And again, 
Don't you see so much of yourself in him? I do. We want to trust God. I want to be Abram of the first part of chapter 12. But when things get really hard or really scary, we start to trust our plan instead of God's. We, we see a way out and we take it, even though we know what we're doing doesn't line up with God's ways. And then we can rationalize our lack of trust. We convince ourselves that the ends justify the means. We're all like Abram saying, what's the big deal with a little sin if it means I stay safe and it goes well with me? That's where Abram is here. So already, we've learned something really important here in the first part of this passage. And that is that even heroes of the faith fail. And that's why all of us, even Abram, need to be saved by grace. Because we're all weak and we all fail. And our hope is not in how strong our faith is, but in how strong our Savior is. Okay, so now we've seen Abram's failure. In his fear, he fails to trust God and instead sins by lying about his wife. But now let's look at his sin's fallout. In verse 14, they finally get to Egypt. So let's see what happens when they get there. Verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So as you're reading this, right here is where you go, uh-oh. Abram was right about Sarah's beauty, but things didn't exactly go according to his plan. Most likely, Abram figured that if an Egyptian man saw Sarah and wanted to marry her, he would first talk to Abram as her brother, because that's how the custom would have worked. If her father wasn't there as the brother, he would have been the one responsible for negotiating what the arrangements would look like for a wedding. So he figures, okay, Worst case scenario, somebody is attracted to you. They want to start the proceedings. They'll come talk to me. And while the negotiations are ongoing, it gives us time to get out of Dodge. Right? No harm, no foul. Airtight plan. Except it wasn't just any Egyptian who was interested in Sarai. It was Pharaoh. As he's getting reports from the princes He's got his counselors around. They all start talking about this new woman, Sarai. How beautiful she is. Hey, have you seen that new girl? Wow. So Pharaoh wants her. And what Pharaoh wants, Pharaoh gets. So he brings her into his house. This is not at all what Abram had planned. This is actually a huge problem. Here's the woman by whom Abraham is supposed to have offspring, but now she's in Pharaoh's harem. Abram's sinful failure has massive fallout. The promise of offspring that was so good, so amazing, so glorious, is now seriously threatened. Abram thought his sin would fix his circumstances. It only made it worse. And haven't you found that to be true? That it might seem like your sin got you out of a jam, but sooner or later, that sin only ends up making things worse. That's what happens to Abraham, to Abram. And think about why did he do it? What was Abram concerned about here? Clearly not his wife, 
He's only looking out for himself. He says it. What was the goal, his stated goal of his deceptive plan? Look at 13 again. Say you are my sister. Why? That it may go well with me because of you. And my life may be spared. Abram's only goal was saving his own skin. Well, he got what he wanted, right? But not without a price. Abram's lie has saved his life, but it's cost him his wife. And possibly the promises of God. But notice there's also an an ironic twist here. Remember, Abram wanted Sarai to lie, it says, so that it may go well with him because of Sarai. And look what happens in verse 16. And for her sake, he dealt well, same word in the Hebrew, with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So Abram wanted it to go well with him. That was the point of his plan. If I do this, it'll go well with me. And in one sense, it did. Just not the way he planned. Pharaoh lavished riches on him. He gave him livestock and servants and the luxury item of the day, camels. So in a very real sense, Abram profited from his deception and lack of faith. Now, if you're like me, you read that or you hear that and your first reaction is very unsettling and you think something like, that's messed up. Abram did something bad and he got something good. How does that work? And you're not wrong. Let me give you two thoughts about that though. The first, isn't that the gospel? That good things happen to bad people People who've done nothing good to deserve blessing, yet still get every blessing in Christ. That's why it's a gospel of grace. But the other thing to realize here is that while it looks like Abram did something bad and got something good, those good things might not have been as good as you think they are. In the next coming chapters, Abram will face intense family strife over two issues. Next week in chapter 13, we'll look at how Abram and his nephew Lot have to separate. There's so much fighting and strife in the family, they have to go their separate ways. Why? Chapter 13, verse 6 says, For their possessions were so great they could not dwell together. Well, where did they get all these problematic possessions? Pharaoh. Then, in chapter 16, we meet a new character in the story. After we're told that Sarai is still barren, we read this. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And as we'll see, there will be deep family strife because of Hagar. And where do you think this female Egyptian servant came from? Most likely, one of the female servants Pharaoh gives Abram in verse 16. So even the things that seemed like blessings that came from sin also came with their own complications. That's part of sin's fallout. It makes bad things worse, and even the things that initially seem good aren't always what they seem. 
So at this point, things are looking pretty bleak. Abram's failure had led to his wife being more or less enslaved in Egypt, and all God's great promises suddenly looked doomed. All the good things you might have been feeling as we walked through the first part of chapter 12 of, wow, that's amazing what God's going to do. Right now, that's gone. You're thinking, man, I had such high hopes. Which is why it's such good news that God's promises don't ultimately rest on our faithfulness, but his. Let's see what happens in verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Again, this is one short sentence, but man, there is so much in this. Here's God. When his promises are seemingly in danger, to anyone who's looking, anyone as you're reading your Bible, there is no denying that at the end of verse 16, his promises look seriously endangered, if not doomed. But when that happens, the Lord does not sit idly by. He steps in to protect his promise. Even though Abram's failure has made a mess of things, he doesn't leave Abram and say, you got yourself into this, you can try to get yourself out. Instead, God graciously intervenes. How does he intervene here? He sends great plagues on Pharaoh's house. He brings curses on the man who dishonored Abram. Does that sound familiar? That's earlier in chapter 12. And somehow, we're not sure how, but through this bringing of plagues on Pharaoh's house, it's made known to Pharaoh that what he's experiencing is because he's taken Abram's wife. So the question then is, well, what's Pharaoh going to do about this? I mean, surely he's enraged. What will he do? Look at verse 18. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So think about this scene. Think about what we're, we're, we're seeing right here. Here's Pharaoh, a pagan leader, rebuking God's servant because of his immorality. This unbeliever looks more like a believer than Abram, the man of faith. And so while our text never comes right out and says that Abram's lie was wrong, this is one of the reader's clues about how we are to understand his actions. Because the contrast here between Pharaoh the pagan rebuking the supposed man of God is meant to be an all caps, bolded, highlighted, underlined clue that when Abram lied, it was a failure of faith. After rebuking him, Pharaoh then gives Abram back his wife and tells him to go and take his possessions with him. Now, if you're like me, you've got to ask the question, why doesn't he just kill Abram? I mean, of what we know about pharaohs of that day and their power, and here's somebody who clearly did something that really displeased him, why doesn't he just kill him? Well, from Pharaoh's perspective, he's probably terrified of Abram's God. 
If Abram's God can bring all this judgment of plagues upon him for mistreating one of his people, Pharaoh wants nothing more to do with that. What what might this God do if he killed him? That's one perspective. But if we step back a little more, what we realize is that Pharaoh doesn't kill Abram because God is keeping his promises. That's what we're meant to see in this passage. And I want to point out some of these. Friends, because this story is dripping with gospel hope for people like us. Here's Abram, a follower of God, who had some incredible high points already in his walk with God, times where he's trusted him enough to take huge steps of faith. And yet here we find him struggling to believe God's promises. His faith fails him here. Abram sins because he doubts God's ability or his willingness to do what he has said. And his sin creates a massive fallout, so big that it seemed like there was no hope now that all the good things God promised Abram could ever possibly happen. And then when Pharaoh brings charges against Abram for the wrong he's done, Abram has no defense to make. Notice he doesn't say a word because he's guilty and could have been killed by Pharaoh. But here's the good news. Even when Abram fails, God's promises don't. Even when Abram completely blew it, God preserved Abram's life. He did not get the judgment he deserved. Not only that, God did good to Abram in spite of his sin. When Abram left, he left not just with his wife restored to him, but with riches. God's promise to bless Abram didn't fail even when Abram did. Okay, so how does this story connect to us? Well, just like Abram, as we follow God, we can have times of amazing triumphs of faith, right? But also times we just utterly fail to trust the Lord. But the good news is that when we belong to God through faith in Jesus, even when we fail, God does not abandon his promises. Instead, we sing truths like, mine is hope and my redeemer. Though I fall, his love is sure. For Christ has paid for every failing. Hear that, every failing. And I am his forevermore. The good news of the gospel is that our failings have been paid for. Jesus never failed and never faltered in his faith, and yet he died to pay for every time you and I do. And when we belong to Jesus, though we might fail time after time after time, he will not let our faith ultimately fail. Because when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last, bought by him at such a cost. He will hold you fast. Friend, if you are in Christ, your failings don't overpower God's keeping. No matter how weak your faith might be at times, if your faith is in Jesus, he will hold you fast. Even when we fail, God's promises don't. Okay, I want to end by doing something. I want to end by taking our story here in Genesis 12 And comparing it to two other stories, I want to look back at one and look forward to the other. Because there are strong connections in both ways. And by looking at them together, they help us see some beautiful truths. So first, think with me. 
Think back to how this story in Genesis 12 connects to what happened in the Garden of Eden. Both stories involved a sin that centered around failing to trust God and instead looking to a lie to get what was wanted. In Genesis 3, we're told that the tree was pleasant to the sight. In Genesis 12, we find that same Hebrew word when we're told Sarai was beautiful in appearance. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve saw and took what was forbidden. In Genesis 12, Pharaoh saw and took what was forbidden. In both stories, the guilty parties are interrogated by a ruler. Adam and Eve are questioned by God in the garden, and Abram is questioned by Pharaoh in Genesis 12. In fact, the question Pharaoh asks Abram, what is this you have done, is the exact same wording as the question God asks Eve in the garden. In both stories, the guilty sinners are forced to leave. And both stories are immediately followed by a family schism. After the garden, Cain and Abel. After this, Abram and Lot. Lots of similarities. But what's different? In the garden, when Adam and Eve left, they left with a curse because of their sin. But when Abram leaves, the curse has fallen on someone else and he instead leaves with undeserved blessing. Why? Because God had made promises to Abram. And even when Abram failed, God's promises didn't. Friends, this same dynamic is still at work with us. Because God has bound himself to us with promises in Christ, we don't walk away from our failures under a curse. Because the curse has fallen on someone else, we get to walk away with undeserved blessing. Do you see this? Now that's looking back. Now let's look ahead to a second story. Let's look at what will happen a little bit later to God's people. At the end of Genesis, they will once again go to Egypt because of a famine. And when they go there, just as Sarai was taken by Pharaoh, Israel will be taken and enslaved by another Pharaoh. And yet, God remembers his promises and intervenes to save his people by bringing plagues. And what's the end result? Pharaoh commanding Israel to leave and they take the riches of Egypt with them. Sounding familiar? Here's why this connection is so important. Remember that the original readers of our story were the people who had come out of slavery in Egypt. So when they're looking back at Genesis 12, at our story this morning, and they saw all these connections, you know what would have jumped out at them? That after Abram left Egypt, he made it back to the land he was promised. And if God kept his promise to Abram even after his failure, then surely Israel would make it back to the land God promised them in spite of their own failures. And after God brings Israel into the land, guess what we read in Joshua 21? Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came 
to pass. Everyone. And that's true for us, friends. God has made you and I promises, and as surely as he kept them for Abram, and as surely as he kept them from Israel, even when they failed, just as surely he'll keep them for us in spite of our failures. Not one word of all the good promises God has made us will fail. They will all come to pass. He will bless you. He will bring you home to glory. He will finish the good work he started in you. He will conform you to the image of Jesus. He will be with you always. He will not stop doing good to you. He will work all things together for your good. He will raise you from the dead and he will give you everlasting joy in his kingdom. Friends, as Abram learned, none can stay God's hand or thwart his purposes. And that includes you and your failures. Even when we fail, God's promises don't. So with all of God's people of all time, we pray, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this truth in your word. Thank you that you pry our hearts away from wanting to enthrone Abram or any other character in the Bible as the hero and put them on a pedestal. Instead, we're reminded that Abram is just like us, a sinner in need of grace, in need of a God who keeps his promises even when we fail. I pray that you would encourage our hearts by this truth this morning. God, I pray for those who are in the midst of failure, who are feeling the fallout of their sin and are questioning whether God could ever do the things that he promised. I pray that you would show them your ability to rescue, your ability to restore, and your guarantee to keep your promise even when we blow it. Thank you that you are that kind of God. Thank you that the God we read about here is the same God you are today. I pray, as we're going to sing in a minute, that you would give us grace to trust you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.